Did perimenopause or menopause catch you off guard? Weird symptoms appearing from nowhere? Wondering who is this person who's inhabiting your body? And most of all, having no one to talk to about it? It happened to me, too. And with all the chaos that it was causing me, I knew I had to figure it out. I dug in, reading often outdated books and searching obscure references on the internet. I learned how our shifting reproductive hormones mess with every cell in our bodies. And as I realized how complete this hormonal disruption was, I became determined to help other women understand and control their own menopause journey. Because menopause matters. And here, we talk about all things menopause. I'm your host, Jean Andrus, and this is Menopause Matters, the podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Jean Andrus, the host of Menopause Matters, the podcast. And today I have with me Jill Angie, who is the fat running coach who helps women over 40 start running safely and confidently. And today we're going to talk a little bit about body image and why Jill embraces the the term fat and how that helps you and her and me get out there and do it confidently and, as you said, safely. So, Jill, so often. Oh, first of all, let me go ahead and let you say add any to that that you like. Nothing to add. Just hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me here. <laughs> I'm so glad to see you. Um, Jill and I have not, and Jill is my running coach, and we haven't seen each other in real life since we ran a relay race last year about this time. And so I'm so excited to see you online. Yay. So why do you, let's start with why do you embrace the word fat? So many people <laughs> are are so scared of it and so unhappy with it. And I know even in our group, of runners. There have been people who say yes and people who say no. And so tell us why this evolution to fat. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've always, I think I, I used to use a lot of euphemisms for the word fat, like plus size or chubby or, you know, chunky. And, um, cause I, uh, curvy is another one I used to use a lot because I, you know, I was raised to believe that the word fat is a negative, right? That first of all, that being fat is just the worst thing you could be. I feel like you could murder somebody. And if you're thin, they're like, oh, I'm sure she had a good reason. But if you're fat, it's like that, that bitch should have expected that. Right. (laughs) Um, that's That's a terrible example, but I do feel like you know, like being fat is we are taught in our society that it's one of the worst things you can be, right? It's not okay. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're gluttonous. You're unattractive. You're, you're lazy. Do not get out there and run in a running. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Right. And it's, it's so funny because they're like, fat people should all lose weight. But also if you're fat, please don't exercise in public because I don't need to see that. Right. And so I mean, so I, that's kind of like the paradigm that I was raised with. My mom was always like, listen, you're putting on some weight. You don't want to get fat, right? That was the messaging I always heard. And you don't want to get fat because you're never going to find a man. And so it was all tied up into this very patriarchal belief system that, you know, first of all, that every woman's goal is to find 
a man, <laughs> right? And we know that's not true. And that you're not going to find a good man unless you're thin and just all of the bullshit that goes along with it. Right. So I was raised that way. And I feel like it hampered my ability to really be myself and to love myself and to have like deep, meaningful relationships with other people. Cause I was always thinking like, Oh, what I'm that, like, what if they, you know, like, I just have to settle for whatever guy I can get because I'm fat. And I just, it got, you know, I, I wouldn't ask for promotions at work because I thought, well, you know, they're not going to take me seriously because I'm fat. And I think at one point I just thought I can't live my life. Like I, you know, I was constantly trying to lose weight. I would lose weight. I would gain it back. I would lose. And that made me feel even worse about myself. And I think I just got to a point where I was like, this is, this is dumb. (laughs) 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 I'm just going to be me and I'm going to stop like trying to pretend I'm not fat or always be talking about like how I'm working on my body and I'm I'm a work in progress. Right. And I just like, screw that. I'm just, I'm just going to be fat (laughs) and I'm going to stop like trying to like dance around the issue by using all of the nice words that basically mean fat, but don't actually say it. Yeah, And that I think that has been a huge evolution for me because once I sort of just decided that fat is just a word and that it's probably the best word to use when you're talking about a body that's larger than the typical you know, whatever we thinks is the right size body, because the word plus size is, I think, really problematic because it, in the fat, it's a fashion industry term. And it basically means, you know, anything bigger than the norm. And we have to make a whole extra set of sizes for it. We have to have a whole different section in the store for it. Right. And it really others women who are in the quote unquote plus sized range. Oh. It's just like, oh, no, no, you can't shop over here in the section. You have to shop in the plus size section, right? You can't shop in the cute, cute clothes right. section. Exactly. So yeah. so when you say plus size to somebody, when you're not talking about clothing, like to me, that like that makes me just kind of like, oh, I just cringe. And when you use the words obese and overweight, right, those are medical clinical terms that are related to the BMI scale, which <sighs> is... Right. Another Another, problem. (laughs) Right. Another very problematic way of classifying bodies because it's based on, you know, a a collection of European white European men. I guess all European men are white. (laughs) Not anymore, thank goodness. That's true. Right. Right. But like, like ethnically Caucasian men from the 1800s. Right. And so the BMIs were based on that. And so we've taken that very limited data set and said, okay, so now this applies to women. It applies to people of all races. And oh, and by the way, if you don't fit into this, you are overweight, you're obese, you're not going to get the same level of healthcare, all the things. So I do not like the term obese. I do not like the term overweight for that very reason, because it does, it's like, this does not mean what you think it means (laughs) when people (laughs) say that. And then, you know, chunky and fluffy and thick and like, they're cute. They're cute terms. Right. But I'm just like, let's just say fat. Let's just, let's just stop pretending to be something other than what we are just so that other people can feel comfortable with us. Like, screw that. No. So this question, I think I've wanted to ask you since this sort of evolution, but we haven't really sat down and talked in 
in a while. So this isn't a lot of women as they come into menopause are find themselves shifting weight. Maybe their weight doesn't change that much, or maybe it only changes five or 10 pounds, but it all shows up in our middles and, you know, and we're shifting and we're not comfortable in our bodies because they're not the same as they were. This isn't a thing that says, no, you can't lose weight. No, you don't want to, you know, if losing weight is something that you want to do, that's okay, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this isn't this isn't me saying like if you're fat, you can never you. That's wrong for you to want to not be fat, and it's wrong for you to try to not be fat, right? Like I think in general, I I believe that most diets don't necessarily work in the long term because, right? They don't address a lot of the other emotional, you know, hormonal, exactly, all of the, exactly. all the things that change our weight as we come into this time of our lives. Now, yeah. I was like sort of the, the opposite because when I was 48 and going through this, I went on a super health kick and stayed and really lost some weight, significant weight at that, that time of my life. But what I love about what you're saying is it's okay wherever you are and you can love your body even when it's not doing the thing that you want it to do, which is yeah. lose weight. Right. I think that the problem comes in when we tie the size of our body to our self-worth, right? If you're saying, I can't love myself unless I'm thinner, or I can't respect myself, or I don't feel worthy as a person unless my body is smaller. Like, I think that can be somewhat problematic because if you do manage to lose the weight, like we still got this weird sort of belief system that your worth as a human is tied to your body size. And then there's all this panic of, oh, well, I can't gain the weight back because then I have to start hating myself again. And right. And I think it sets up this a very kind of unhealthy relationship with food and dieting and so forth. So and our bodies. Yeah. And our bodies. Exactly. Yeah. And I think when you are in, you know, perimenopause and postmenopause, like because your body is changing so much, there's already like a level of, you know, maybe frustration or disdain at thinking like, oh, great. Now I've got the hot flashes. Now my hair is turning gray. Now I've got all this stuff around my middle. So we're, I think it's already a little bit of a struggle to kind of like, you have to learn to love your changing body. And if you throw dieting on top of it and believe that dieting is the answer to all your problems, yeah. then I think you've just kind of set yourself up for, for some real uncomfortable yeah. thoughts about yourself. <laughs> and years. <laughs> and years, yeah. 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 So so let's talk a little bit about running um, because and running and exercise because exercise isn't about losing weight. And if you approach it from the point of view that you're just doing it to lose weight, I think you lose so much from the other things that exercise can do for us, like building mm -hmm. our confidence, telling, teaching us that we can do hard things. Uh, I don't know whether you know, but I went up and ran with a couple of the not your average runner runners through on one of the Ragnars recently uh, reached the beach. And as one of us said, one of them was driving me to the airport. We talked about running as teaching us that we can do hard things and yeah. how that sort of sets us up for um, changing the way we view our lives. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it does, right? Because running is hard. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Running, <laughs> running is actually, you know, it's difficult. And the body, like, what's that? I don't know which law of physics it is the the body at rest wants to stay, <laughs> to at, stay rest, at rest wants to stay at rest right like or a body on the couch wants to stay on the couch exactly and so it's hard physically and then when it's hard physically a lot of times we have thoughts about that and then it becomes hard mentally and when you are able to to start running and i think this is what i love about how i teach running which is to use the run walk method um i teach you like a, sort of an easy entry to running so that you almost trick yourself into going wait a minute running is actually easier than i thought what <laughs> and um but like when you do hard things right like when you show up for yourself time after time again when you um stay consistent when you keep your commitments to yourself right you start rewiring your brain to to have the identity of I'm somebody who does what I said I'm going to do. I'm somebody who can do hard things. And then that sort of like spreads out through the rest of your life. And other hard things come up, you know, like starting a business or <laughs> starting a podcast, right? <laughs> or Which, changing your relationship with your significant other. Yeah, uh, so, exactly. Or, like then your brain is menopause. like... menopause. <laughs> right, getting through menopause. I mean, menopause is going to happen whether you like it or not. That's. I think that's one of the things that a lot of women struggle with is like resisting it. I'm like, I don't know, like it's going to happen. <laughs> so... Yeah, but I do think that running is really a great way to teach yourself about your own power and your own um, endurance. And then you can apply that everywhere in your life. So is there anybody who shouldn't run? People who don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. The the absolute perfect answer. Running's not for everybody. (laughs) It's not. I mean, it really isn't, right? It's just not. Like some people are like, I really don't like it. I'm like, okay. You don't have to. (laughs) Nobody's saying you have to. You don't even have to exercise if you don't want to. And I think that's like, we all have this belief that like, oh, I should be doing this. Like, no, no, you get to decide whatever you want to do. You don't have to do any of it. I do believe people should move. And, you know, but if your exercise really is going out and gardening or taking a walk or playing with your grandkids or playing with your kids or taking puppies for a playing with puppies at the animal shelter. That's okay too. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I do, I mean, body movement has helped me a lot with menopause just because I feel like it helps modulate my hot flashes a little bit. Like when I'm running consistently, my hot flashes are a lot less intense than when I'm not like uh, I had COVID earlier in the summer. And so I was, I didn't run for several weeks because I just, my lungs were like, no, that's a no, no, thank you. That's a hard no. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And I was kind of fascinated. I watched my hot flashes get a lot worse. And then once I got back into, you know, like restarted running and started getting consistent with it again, it's amazing to me, like how the menopause symptoms seem to be, you know, just like not as intense. And I I mean, I know that's not the truth, true for everybody, right? Everyone's body is different, but Um, for me, definitely, it's been oh, it's for been sure. helpful like that. For sure, yeah. um, part of it is that it's it's actually exercise is part of bringing those hormones back into balance, mm-hmm. and so running. Uh, you know, a lot of times people will say that running is 
estrogen depleting. So they will say, you know, running isn't good for you when you're in menopause. But one of the things that I think about the way you approach running, and by the way, after a decade of being a, just a straight runner, I guess is the way you say it. (laughs) Um, I have, after several injuries on my on my legs, I have embraced the the walk run, the interval method, and boy, it's it's really changed things because now I'm back to running distances that I like to run three and yeah. four miles at a time, and it's it's awesome. So, but that is much less estrogenic depleting, but it's also got the benefit of really being a interval training, high intensity interval training. If you've heard of that. If you're listening and you've heard of high intensity interval training, which is really good for um, stoking our metabolism and bringing greater health benefits to an aerobic uh, type of exercise. So I love the method that you are doing because it's for menopausal women. There are a lot of scientific reasons Mm -hmm. that it's much better than this. Let's go out and run 10 miles without stopping. Yeah. I love science too. Yay for <laughs> science, right? Yeah. So yeah, good. science is is kind of my thing. And yeah, so I find that that's really helpful as we go through this. Don't you think too, like that a high impact exercise and actually, I mean, probably walking, like just walking without any running involved at all is probably just as beneficial, but because it's a weight bearing exercise, right? It's promoting bone growth. It's promoting joint health. And right. I feel like it helps us in so many ways, like without just the, because one of the symptoms of menopause, right, is declining bone density. And so running and walking can help you, you know, like stimulate that bone growth and replace it. There are so many benefits to just to being active. And of course, one of my favorite Memes on Fridays, Jill posts memes. And one of my favorite memes that you've put out is uh, the dog that you say, the dog has been trained to sniff out people that that aren't doing their stretching. And then the next picture is the dog's nose right in your face. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. And it's like, oh, hey, yeah, I need to be stretching more. (laughs) This is for sure one that, that speaks to me. And I think that's part of it is that when you do, when you get involved in something like running, one of the wonderful things about running is there's so many opportunities as a runner, an interval runner, wherever you are, there's so many opportunities to go out and play at competition. And I want to say that always those are competitions against yourself. Even if somebody does wind up on the top of the rung before their age group or the whole race or whatever it is, it's just so awesome to be able to do that kind of competition and compete with yourself. This was the first time in my life that I ever competed against myself because I sucked so much. And so for me, it was the 5k that I PR debt, a personal record or a personal best was always my goal was to to just do better than I had the last time. Now I sort of have to throw out all of my mid 50s PRs and personal bests. And I'm really looking at a whole new set of how am I doing and how am I measuring myself against myself? But then it gets you, it says, let's do some strength training. Let's do some 
picking up heavy things because it helps me run better. Mm -hmm. And let me do some stretching because it helps me run better and it helps me feel better so much. And the running community is amazing. Just totally amazing. Yeah. Do love the running community. I mean, it's, it's one of the most supportive places on earth because first of all, when you're a runner, you're always full of endorphins. And so you're just happy, right? What's that? Yeah, we that, haven't even um, talked about that. I know, right? That there's that that movie. Is it Legally Blonde? Where her defense against so her friend is an aerobics instructor and has been accused of killing her husband, and she's just like she couldn't possibly have done it because people who exercise are full of endorphins and endorphin peoples are happy endorphin people with endorphins are happy and they don't kill people. And I'm like, that's right. Like, that's a great point. And I think that's why people use running as therapy as well, because it just floods you with, you know, this feel good hormone and you're like, you feel less stabby afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Or, If you're just starting out, maybe you're just plain too tired to pick up the knife. (laughs) Or that, exactly. One or the other. Either way, Um, it's a win. (laughs) Yeah. So I know we haven't talked about runner's high. And it isn't, let's be honest, the first 10, 15 weeks that you're running, you may never feel that runner's high because you're just too tired trying to build it up. But it really is there. It really is. I think for me, the runner's high rarely comes during a run. And it's more like that feeling of euphoria that I get when I'm done. Because like when you're running, I feel like the endorphins are just doing their job of keeping the discomfort under control. And then when you stop running and your body is still pumping out endorphins, but you don't need them to keep running anymore, like then it's just like, all up in your brain. And it's just this kind of like super euphoric feeling afterwards. And for me, that's like one of the main reasons that I run. I mean, I like Mm. the running part itself, but I really like the afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was so one of the cool things about living in Louisiana is my pool stays up and all all year. And I, well, I tend to come home from my run and I go out and I float around in my pool and I do my oh. stretching in the pool. So nice. it's really wonderful time of just being in my own space and in my own head. One of the things about, I think about our exercising, uh, some people really like to run with a friend. Mm-hmm. I'm a really run by myself kind of gal. Yeah, it's me for too. me, it's that time when I can just let my head turn off and I get involved with the beat of my feet and pounding Mm. and I have stupid little syllables (laughs) that make absolutely no sense to anybody that I just keep repeating and I run with my dog. I love it. And it's just our time out there together. And I think it can be that way for any kind of exercise, whether it's Mm -hmm. cycling or swimming or even being in a in a gym class, um, yeah, you know, in a class where you're dancing or whatever, I tend to be the person who like stands in the back row with all the other people who are really super coordinated, so I don't knock over a whole <laughs> line of people. But yeah, it's that time for you to really feel in tune with your body and in your body, embodying yourself. That's super. I love that. For me, I also strength training does that for me because you really have to connect deeply with 
the location of your body in space and right. And like the sort of micro adjustments so you don't hurt yourself. Right. And mm-hmm. so that you get the most out of each movement. And, you know, when my trainer is like, okay, shift your hips back or, you know, move your shoulders or whatever, like it wipes everything else out. And I'm just focused on my body, not mm-hmm. my thoughts, not what's happening an hour from now. Like you have to be right there in the moment. And that, right. Mm-hmm. Like after a strength training session, I think half of the reason I feel so good afterwards is because I've taken a break from my thoughts for a hot minute and just like let myself be. It's, it's really it feels so good. So let's talk let's talk a little bit about coaching. Okay. Because you're a running coach. I work with women around menopause and you just mentioned a strength trainer. Why coaching? Why pick why work with somebody who knows how to do this? <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what you mean. Like why do I want to be a coach? Why would you say to someone Getting a coach, especially around some of these physical things, is so important because I know that, you know, your program, your advanced program, which I'm a part of, has three or four coaching calls a week. You you talk about working with a strength trainer, personal trainer in the gym, not just going in there and picking up a dumbbell and doing curls, whatever. Why is it so important? Why do you think it's so important to work with someone who knows what they're doing? Okay, I got you. (laughs) I mean, first of all, I think working with somebody who knows what they're doing and who has helped a lot of people before you, it means that you're just going to get your results faster, Mm -hmm. right? So you're not going to have to like mess around with trial and error, trying this, see if it works, try that, see if it works. You're just going to hire somebody who's like, no, I've done that before. I'm pretty sure it's not going to work for you. Try this first, right? So it it definitely like speeds up your your results. And then also they can help you, they can get you some guardrails, you know, figurative, maybe literal. I don't know if you're a bowling coach, right? <laughs> um, those bumper things. Right. Exactly. You know, those little bumper things. <laughs> um, but they can kind of give you guidance on like, don't do this or you're going to get hurt or you know, like take it slow. Or I think that a coach can help you avoid the common errors that most people make. You know, in the case of like a a physical activity coach, they can help you avoid injury. If you do get injured, they can help you figure out what to do. Like, okay, nope, this is a situation where you need to call the doctor or no, I think this one you could probably just rest and, and recover. Um, And the other thing that I think is helpful about having a coach is it's a little bit of external motivation. I mean, I was mm. I was talking with one of my clients the other day and she was talking about how she just has a really hard time doing strength training. And I said, okay, well, let's plan for you to do some strength training tomorrow. She said, okay. And I'm like, all right, so tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and you're not going to want to do it. And what are you going to say to yourself? She said, <laughs> I'm going to say that Jill told me to do it. So I'm going to do it. And I don't want to be embarrassed that I didn't do it. And And I'm like, Okay. All right. Whatever works. Right. (laughs) And so sometimes having a coach is just that little bit of external motivation. I know for me, uh, the reason I have a personal trainer for my strength training is because I won't do it on my own. I just won't. I'll find excuses. Right. But if I I pay somebody else, (laughs) I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up and I'm going to get my money's worth. So I think, yeah, those are probably the three top benefits to having a coach. Okay. So I know you've got other things that have to get happen today. I have a run that has to happen today. <laughs> and it's finally, I hate running super early in the morning. I love running mm-hmm. midday, late afternoon. 
And in Louisiana, that's almost impossible. And it's finally getting to the time of year when Yay. that's happening. Nice. So I'm so excited about that. But I want you to let people know how they can find you and what you're, uh, what you're offering so that they can get, I'm going to say it, up and running. so yeah so uh you can find me on instagram at not your average runner um on facebook at not your average runner Uh, my website is not your average runner.com and my podcast is called the not your average runner podcast (laughs) and i do have a um i actually have a free kind of starter guide Uh, i call it the running start kit and um, you can find that if you go to my website not your average runner.com slash uh, I think it's slash running start. Um, it might be slash start running. So try them both. <laughs> See which one or works. Or just go to the front page and click on or the, go to the on front the page. Link. And then I actually, I do have a 30 day kind of beginners class. It's an online beginners class that uh, it's called up and running. And um, you can find that at notyouraveragerunner.com slash up and running that's a great place to start. If you're like, yeah, I actually, I'm going to do this thing and I want a coach's help. Um, that's a great place to start. It's a great place to get some commitment to doing. Yeah. Jill, thank you so much for coming and talking exercise and how we can benefit from changing our perception of ourselves and of our exercise. It's awesome. been so much fun to talk to you today. Thanks thank you for so having much me. for coming. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. Menopause has many annoying symptoms, but not many are worse than the lack of sleep. If you are one of the 90% of women who suffer from menopausal insomnia and or fatigue, I'd love to offer you my free download, Five Tips to Get Better Sleep Tonight. You can get it at menopausematterspodcast.com slash sleep. And let me know which of these tips works best for you.